I um, I don't know whether it's possible to cultivate a style. Nobody is precisely what they think they are. Love mm -hmm. is where you find it, where you find it, where you find it, love mm -hmm. is where you find it. Maybe in the last moments of my life, moments of my life, I will be curious to know what it means to die. Welcome to Folk Phenomenology. My name is Sam Rocha. This is episode 9 of season 1, featuring special guest Ogechi Akalaberry on powerlifting. Today's episode was originally recorded on April 1st, 2021. Folk Phenomenology is sponsored by Whippenstock Publishers, who published my 2015 book, Folk Phenomenology, Education, Study, and the Human Person. Give us this day, daily prayer for today's Catholic, the Institute for Christian Socialism, building a movement of the ecumenical Christian left, Solidarity Hall, Eden plus Utopia, Revelation Cable Company, Vancouver Custom Cables and Pedalboard Solutions, where Peter is, there is the church, the Juan Diego Network, Catholic Audio for Latinos, and Commonweal Magazine, the leading lay Catholic voice for commentary on religion, politics, and culture. The featured sponsor for today's episode is Black Catholic Messenger, an online publication for Black Catholics. This is a new publication uh, that was started, or uh, more precisely restarted, uh, in the fall of last year, 2020, and um, the founders, or perhaps I should say, Refounders, uh, Alessandra Harris and Nate Tinner Williams, uh, are two voices that I have been following and gaining a great deal of uh, education from uh, regarding Black Catholicism and the Black Catholic Church. And um, I would encourage everyone to not only support the Black Catholic Messenger, but take the time to go to their About page. Uh, which I'll feature in the show notes, their history and vision statement. I think it's one of the more interesting, more historically rooted, and more compelling, really, uh, statements of an organization of any kind that I've read in a long time. And uh, I'm just really grateful to them for their support and really encourage you to uh, likewise support them in whatever way you can. Of all the organizations that I'm just so blessed to have on board for Folk Phenomenology, I believe they're the youngest one, and it really says a lot for them to show their support of this show in a period of time where they're just still really within the first year of launching their own publication. And so that kind of mutual aid, that kind of solidarity, that kind of... Uh, generosity is something that I hope doesn't go unnoticed uh, by all the listeners here in Folk Phenomenology. Please be sure to find their website, as I mentioned in the show notes, along with the websites of all our other wonderful sponsors here at Folk Phenomenology. If you would like to support Folk Phenomenology, please share this episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite app or platform, and maybe leave us a review or drop a tip. Also, maybe put in a rating. You can find Folk Phenomenology on social media as well. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram all have dedicated accounts. And 
as repetitive as that line can be, it really is true. Every bit of volume boosting, every bit of sharing, every bit of interaction, especially on social media, really goes a long way. And I really thank all of you who are doing that and would encourage everyone to do as much as they feel they can. Today's episode is about powerlifting. It's about the body. It's about sport. It's about a number of things that I think are neglected in some of the uh, philosophical discussions we might have about the person or the world or faith or uh, language or all these other things. And so I'm just so excited to share this episode with you as we continue on our journey, on our pilgrimage to delight in the world, to love the world. Guided today by Ogechi Akalaberry and her wonderful, amazing story, Dilexit Mundum. Today on Folk Phenomenology, I am joined with Ogechi Akalaberry. Thank you so much, Ogechi, for joining me. Thank you for having me. You are a person of many talents and many interests. Um, today, I would really love to have uh, an extended conversation about uh, your life as a powerlifter and about powerlifting uh, in general, if that's okay with you. That's totally fine. I love it. Wonderful. Well, why don't you just start off with uh, telling us a bit about your story and uh, and about your interests and uh, from the kind of, you know, particulars of that story and stuff. I would at some point like to talk in, in some detail about powerlifting. Um, I don't want to uh, lead off uh, with any, um, with too many at least assumptions though. So I'll let you go first and talk to me a bit about, you know, what powerlifting is to you and how you do it and, how, and what's going on there. Okay, so um, a little bit about me. I am Nigerian-American. I was born in Nigeria. My family, my mom and I and my dad came to New Jersey. My siblings were born in New Jersey, but we eventually settled on the East Coast in Maryland. And I've lived in Maryland most of my life. And um, growing up, the way to connect the best with my dad was through sports. So he would mm. take us out on Saturdays to play soccer because he was a really, really good soccer player. Um, his nickname is Bahama, which I guess had something to do with like being one with the grass or um something that's like uh, i don't know like these legends that your parents tell you you grow up and you're just like is this true or is this Uh, just like you're hyping yourself up but he was he was really really good at soccer and my mom was Mm -hmm. really really good at track and fields and coincidentally those are the two sports that i competed in in high school Mm. um so growing up my memories of sports were those saturdays going to a local park playing soccer and volleyball and i think my dad had dreams of my sister and i being the next venus and serena but my Mm eye-hand coordination said otherwise (laughs) okay so i just stuck with soccer and track and field um so i've always been really athletic from a young age i even was like very muscular since like i remember having muscles since the fifth grade and i never really had shame in them because for me i was just like these are just genetically how my both my parents are athletes those african genetics or whatever that's Mm -hmm. just how it came out it wasn't until i think middle school and high school where you get teased for um how you look and things like that that Mm -hmm. i kind of felt that first bit of shame but um Mm -hmm. i kind of leaned into it so you had the option of taking 
an elective gym class in my high school years and so I took introduction to strength training. I was one of maybe two or three girls and then I took advanced strength training where I was the only girl <laughs> in the class and I loved it. I liked that those muscles that people kind of tease me for were a symbol of strength and I could just like mm -hmm. lift weights. I didn't have to be skinny or be known for the different features that people poke out when you grow up mm -hmm. i just could like lift the weights um mm -hmm. and i kind of didn't think anything of it as a sport i just thought that was like a means to work out um and then i went on to college where i was extremely lazy i didn't really lift weights or do anything i had the opportunity to go to a school and compete in track and field but i chose a different school because um i wanted to focus more on a athletics and i kind of wish i at least tried to walk on a track team i went to the university of pittsburgh sure. and um it's really it's well known for their science i was actually pre-med um spoiler alert i am not a doctor so you can tell how that <laughs> went okay. I was, now you said athletics but i think you meant academics earlier right um you went to Pittsburgh to focus on academics? academics correct. Got yes. it. Okay. But Pittsburgh yeah, yeah, yeah. does have a great track and field team. And I could have mm. chosen to go and, you know, join the club team or try out for their actual um, D1 or D1 team. But I chose to just mm -hmm. focus on um, being pre-med, which is already hard as it is. And I was at the time majoring in Spanish. So kind of two different um, degrees. And so okay. it needed my focus. <laughs> But yeah, humanities what, and science yes, combo. But what happened nice. was I neglected my physical health. And um, what I've learned in hindsight is that there's kind of a triangle of what makes me the most useful and productive version of myself. And if I neglect any of those, my spiritual, mental, or um, physical health, I kind of fall apart. I ha Like, it just is how it is um so part of me falling apart was that neglect of my physical health so i kind of did what i knew was like normal for me and i would go to the gym and lift weights i would do some cardio because it's like necessary i guess but i still hate <laughs> i hate cardio <laughs> so much yeah 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 and i gravitated towards lifting weights um especially things for my legs because that's my strongest muscle and mm -hmm. um i really liked it but again i kind of fell into the trap of having negative body issues wanting to fit a mold um that wasn't meant for me and i remember one of my guy friends <laughs> he was like i don't know if i can curse on this one <laughs> no you're good no this is definitely yeah this is not for uh family friendly he said, show. go ahead he said damn look at you what happened to your ass <laughs> and i said wait what <laughs> and he was just like you've gotten really skinny and i was proud of that i like st basically starved myself and i just did cardio which is not mm. me at all and i was like i've lost all this weight but i had like no muscle mass and he was like you're mm. you're known to like of all the girls that i know you're known to have like muscle and your thick thighs and all of those things that make you ogechi there's nothing wrong with that and you can still like be healthy and keep that and i think mm. and he wasn't saying it from like a lusting point of view he was saying it like mm -hmm. this is what makes you special this your physique is what makes you strong and makes it mm -hmm. you able to do all these different things and so it was yeah. a it was funny that it came from a guy 
and um, that mind shift really got me going back to just lifting weights and doing what I wanted to do to feel healthy and less to Mm. look like a certain type of look. Um, After college, I went back to just, you know, work and I was focusing on work. And again, I really wanted to focus on my physical health because I needed that balance. So I actually, my first um, physical member or gym membership that I did after college was a kickboxing class. Okay. Um, there was I was disappointed because I thought we were going to be kicking people and not just the air. <laughs> so I was like, "There's no contact. What is happening here?" But it was great. Yeah. It got my heart going, and it was a form of cardio that didn't really annoy me, like running on the treadmill or the elliptical. Mm-hmm. Did um, I did step aerobics? I really liked that. Anything that could like get me moving, especially if there was music involved. Not a huge fan of Zumba, mostly because I think I just can't focus on the moves and the people and all of that together sure, um sure. but my brother was like what are you doing you're paying all this like because those specialty gyms cost a lot of money so he's like just oh, yeah. get a gym membership it's the same price of like two yeah. weeks of those classes so i got a gym membership yeah. and if i if i could like track my routine i would walk through the doors there's like the side to the right of that particular gym was all the cardio equipment it was like the mm. plague i would like avoid that section go straight to yeah, the yeah, weights yeah. and do my leg extensions and all of those things and i was really just going through the motions i tried to spice things up with their group classes but i wasn't feeling motivated and i think mm. my brother was like you need to try something else so at the time he's my younger brother he was doing bodybuilding and mm. um my coach who also happened to be an assistant coach for my old high school um noticed how strong my brother was like he's like you have freak Mm. genetics like dude you have to Mm. be doing powerlifting also and my brother's like no no because at that time bodybuilding was like you know that's the sexy sport to do yeah powerlifting like who talked about powerlifting so my coach is like okay you do a bodybuilding competition i'll train you but you have to promise me you'll do a powerlifting competition. And so he did, um, powerlifting competition was really good. I probably would never admit this to my brother in real life, but he is like freakishly (laughs) strong and athletic. Um, Mm -hmm. And so he fell in love with doing both. And when I was like, I don't know, I might spice things up and do CrossFit or something. My brother was like, Mm -hmm. "Uh, uh, (laughs) do you know what CrossFit is? And I'm like, yeah, yeah you know, yeah, yeah. I, they had a CrossFit team at Pitt, and the one thing I don't like is they run a lot, but they lift weights, and I like to lift weights, and he's just like, mm. you hate cardio. Why would you do yeah. CrossFit? Yeah, Try yeah, yeah, out yeah, yeah. powerlifting. And I was like, I don't know what this powerlifting is that you're talking about. And he was like, mm. it's all the stuff that you do at the gym, but in the competition, and they compete. And I was like, okay, well, sure. So I met up with my coach. And I was like, I'm here because my brother told me to do this. And he's like, well, I need to make sure that you're committed. So um, he, for the first six months, I just like trained with him. I had to do obviously cardio stuff to build up my endurance. Um, I think really he was kind of making sure that I was serious about it. I had to dedicate time. And I talk a lot about how that beginning part of powerlifting reminded me about um those spiritual plateaus like you get really no fruits out of it but (laughs) you have to do it in order to get to the next phase 
like the science nerd in me thinks about those phases of gas and water and there's those plateau parts but it's necessary to get to the next phase of water or gas um and so that was like my plateau part of powerlifting just going and being committed to myself to my coach and then finally he was like okay we're ready to start learning the basics of powerlifting and anyone listening that doesn't know what powerlifting is the three lifts in powerlifting are squat bench press and deadlift and that's how it goes in the competition so you start off with squatting you put the barbell on your back whatever weight you choose you get three attempts to get as high as you can in that in that lift same thing with bench press and then deadlift the weight is on the ground you lift it up and um you get three attempts for bench press and deadlift so um that is how a competition goes and that's kind of how he structured training me so i first learned Mm. how to do a proper squat and then i learned your body mechanics for me and what works best for my body type at the time to squat so some people squat very narrow depending on how their hips are and their leg Mm -hmm. strength I squat a little bit wide and I, my squat position has changed as my body has changed, as my technique has changed, but he focused a lot on technique and routine and same thing with bench press and deadlift. And it was frustrating because I was like, well, when are we going to do like the big weights, like throw on the weights, mm-hmm. like I want to be mm-hmm. fancy. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of some plates, yeah. Like let's throw it on, like let's max out every practice. But yeah, what I had to learn was discipline involves the like enjoying the process and going through the process. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when I see people at the gym, they PR every time they're at the gym, which congratulations. But true technique and growth comes from gradually building up the weight, making sure that as you increase weight, your technique remains intact, your body memorizes proper technique. And I thankfully have never had a powerlifting related injury. I do have a knee injury now, but that's related to falling down the steps. (laughs) Okay. Everybody thinks it had, it came from the gym, but it's because I'm a klutz, literally. Okay. Um, so I, I really attribute not having any gym related injuries to that focus on technique mm-hmm. and doing everything in the right time. Um, mm-hmm. So I did my first competition six months after I started. So I started in January, just after my birthday. And um, that was almost like a resolution for myself. A lot of things happened that year. Mm-hmm. I finally got my license. I got my license, guys, at 25. So that's. <laughs> that was like a thing for me that year was like a year of independence so many things happened what year is this um oh goodness you're gonna make me do math so i'm 30 Uh, i'm 33 now and i started when i was 25 so whatever that yeah 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 yeah. um so eight years ago that was like my quarter life crisis and you know everybody's Mm. like you see people that have their life together they either are like still in grad school or going to grad school or they're starting their first real job and i kind of felt like i was like floating i was working i had just gotten out of a terrible job and then i was working at part-time for the county and trying to inch my inch my way up through the county's county government jobs that i had 
Um, and so I really didn't think that I was like successful. And so I was like, why let me mm. do something for just me? And mm. powerlifting was kind of, it came at a time where I really, really, really needed that. And I think God really knew that I needed that. And so mm. I didn't have a car, even though I'd gotten my license. So I had to take two buses to go to the gym every single day go to the gym in the morning, train with my coach. And then since my job was a half day job, change at the gym and then go to work, take two mm -hmm. buses to work. Sit, and I did it wow. for months until I finally got a full-time job, but I still yeah. have to work, take two buses, went to the gym mm -hmm. and I could be dead tired after work, but I knew that was my time yeah. and I didn't want to let myself down or my coach down. And I think that that told my coach a lot, but it told, taught me a lot that I really can do anything if mm -hmm. I put my faith into it and my mind to it. Um, mm -hmm. And kind of these notions of like lack of confidence that told me that I could only go so far were self-imposed and, you know, imposed by the world. So I did my first competition and I crushed it. <laughs> yeah and i i mean to be honest there wasn't that much competition because at the time there weren't many women competing but compared to other women at that time i was doing i was doing pretty good for a really a beginner and so i caught that yeah. bug and my coach yeah. was like here we go <laughs> he was like yeah, like, yeah when yeah, is yeah. the next one um uh -huh. and so i did my next one after that in the fall and this federation was a great beginner federation they weren't super nitpicky about rules and things like that mm. um i had to travel up to york pennsylvania to compete because at the time mm. that federation only really had competitions in pennsylvania in that area which okay. was a very interesting experience because um york pennsylvania isn't the most diverse city in okay. pennsylvania okay. not gonna lie okay so i yeah. i definitely um had some moments in competing where i was literally the only person of color in the room or me mm -hmm. and another judge um one mm -hmm. moment that i'll never forget that it was a lady judge and she i did like a really good number i can't even tell you what the lift was i sure. i think it was squat because i was always that's always been my best lift um yeah. and she's like teary-eyed coming up to me she's like you don't know how amazing it is to see another black woman at these competitions mm. and i didn't think anything of it then until someone else kind of said something similar to me um yeah about their daughter seeing a woman like me at a competition and feeling like they could sure. do the sport so I like yeah. I still carry that with me and I think that Absolutely. applies to anything that you do. You never realize what your representation as mm -hmm. whoever you are means to someone else. Um mm -hmm. but I really never looked around the room and was like, how huh, many black like I was just lucky mm -hmm. if there's another woman <laughs> at that time. Right, it was right, and it was right. cool because most of the time I competed with my brother. So okay, he was cool. with me at the competitions or if he wasn't sure. competing, he was there cheering me on and I really trusted my coach. Um, for me, com competing started off as just an expression of showing myself that I could do something that I really never thought I could do mm. and showing others like this is a little bit of a testimony. Um, mm. My first competition I had, oof, I didn't have a proper powerlifting singlet because again, the ones that they had, 
that were unisex or were men's were so ugly and i like style <laughs> like <laughs> style is important <laughs> to me i don't care yeah, you yeah, can yeah. ask my coach i i used to put on my makeup before a competition i have to have mm -hmm. my lip like my lipstick going because it, it's just kind of mm -hmm. like part of my uniform and he yeah. um was like you need to have a singlet that's the rule so i took an old track and field singlet that i bought off of ebay like maybe ten dollars and i had old um sneakers like i didn't have that much money to pour into the sport that i was trying out so sure, i sure. tried to spend as little money as possible old soccer socks for my deadlift socks because you're required to uh -huh. have long socks when you deadlift yeah, yeah, yeah um and he wrote on the back with the chalk that you use so your hands aren't sweaty um mm -hmm. across and I, I didn't know it until mm -hmm. like he did it and he was like i put a cross mm -hmm. on your back and i was like why he was like because for you this is about like showing up for god and showing up for yourself and that testimony that you're trying to make on the platform and that has become my like signature if if okay. you will <laughs> coach is always nice. almost every meet nice. he's put that there and um to be honest powerlifting was mostly in the beginning about proving something to myself and now it's mm. grown into um a form of prayer a form of like testimony wow. and um i just i mean i could talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about the lessons that i've learned in powerlifting in the eight years that i've done it yeah. um it's great that i started with my brother and now i have i've had teammates that were also women uh, from different backgrounds, different weight classes. I've competed in many weight classes, which could be a good okay. or a bad thing, depending on how you sure. slice it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, I think the most important thing in competing in different weight classes is that however your body looks or um, is, there's strength in it, obviously, because mm -hmm. I'm competing in that mm -hmm. weight class. And I... Um, have done great in almost all the weight classes that I've competed in. And so that just showed me that I, rather than trying to fit or stay at a certain stage, there was a time where I used to compete in 165 and then the Federation changed the way that they did their weight class structure to fit the European model. So now I had okay. to compete in 158. And let me tell you, 165 to, <laughs> 165 to 158 yeah. seems yeah. like a small jump, a small drop, but depending on how your muscles work and just how sure. your physique is, it yeah, was it's not water weight. Yeah, it was yeah. like not easy. And the lowest mm -hmm. I got was 158.9 and I needed to be okay. 158.1 or 2 or something. Oh man. And I was like, you know what? This is it. I'm done. I'm just going to go up yeah, a weight yeah, class yeah. and yeah. I competed in that weight class and there was st and to be honest, when I went up a weight class, I I was that was probably the strongest that I've ever been. And so mm -hmm. if I stuck mm -hmm to that like i need to be in this the smaller person's weight class right i right, wouldn't right, have right. like hit that i would never have hit the numbers that i've hit in squatting yeah. and deadlifting and yeah. that meant changing up how i practice my my technique and how i position mm -hmm. myself but i think being able to be flexible in your training is important um, yeah. As you age, you know, things hurt. You have to be flexible with your expectations for yourself as well. So yeah. um, there's just so many lessons that I've learned in powerlifting. But I think the best one is flexibility. 
And yeah. then second to that would be finding a community. It is a very individual sport because you're literally sure. just you and the weights on the platform yeah, 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 yeah. or in the gym. And you're not just squatting, bunching, and deadlifting. You're doing all of the other things to help that sure. lift. And you have to yeah. do it. No one is going to lift it for you. And if you yeah, yeah, yeah. don't perform well in a training cycle, then you can you can pretty much pinpoint the mistakes you made or the things you slacked off on. So it's very individual mm -hmm. in that sense. But I've loved the moments of community with my teammates, rallying, mm -hmm. yelling at me as I'm like, Mm -hmm. struggling with the weight especially deadlift deadlift is the best moment in a powerlifting mm -hmm. competition um because it's the last lift and it's literally everything on the platform yeah. and you're lifting that weight up and you hear everybody cheering you on and my coach always yells hips to like bring your hips through mm -hmm. as you're lifting mm -hmm. for a deadlift mm -hmm. and Sometimes there are times if it was just me, I would have dropped the weight. But like having right. everyone right. encourage me, it's like a yeah. it's like a shot of adrenaline that it can't even. Yeah, be. yeah, yeah. It's almost the if anyone's a runner, if you see your family at the finish line of a marathon or something, sure. you want to sprint to the finish. Like we were discussing awesome. earlier, it's like that yeah. sprint to the finish feeling. Um, oh, I didn't mention that I was I did do CrossFit or cross. Uh, cross country one season <laughs> oh oh wow wow um talk about not liking cardio yeah there's a funny story there so um <laughs> sometimes i have um not the brightest moments but i thought cross country had something to do with skiing don't ask me why in maryland you would what? have a skiing okay. team but yeah, i was yeah, like yeah. cross country skiing okay i'll sign up and i show up and i'm just like wait a minute why is there a cross country season in the summer i just so yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. oblivious <laughs> and so my coach is like no 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 you want to do track and field right like cross country will help you build up that endurance for track and field when i tell mm -hmm. you i was the last person at every race on the team every single race but i still showed up i hated it for, for every you. single day but i was like i am not a quitter i showed up mm -hmm. i did those wretched three and a half mile or three mile races <laughs> in the, yeah. the trails the track the neighborhoods yeah um and i came in last for the team every single race but i always yeah. sprinted to the finish i always sprinted to go. the finish like my legs tree trunks but i always sprinted to the finish because yeah, yeah, yeah. i like finishing strong um mm -hmm. and i guess they noticed it because i got the what was called the cougar award for it basically okay. kind of like um not a sportsmanship award but kind of like you like a spirit award yeah like that person yeah. on a team that really inspired people because for mm -hmm. sure i would have most people would have quit like this is terrible and cross country went into like the colder months into november yeah so oh, yeah. it was cold and um but it really did help me in my track season i didn't mm. do it again i instead opted for soccer the next year but sure um it was an, again another time where i kind of challenged myself knew that i was not going to be the best but it wasn't about being the best it was about proving that i could do something that i thought that I couldn't do. Like, if there's ever something sure. that, oh, I can never, then I have to try it because that should never yeah. be something that is a common statement for you. And I think sure. I've I've tackled that in a lot of areas. I never thought mm -hmm. I could be a personal trainer because I didn't mm -hmm. look like the typical personal trainer. I'm plus size, so that 
usually isn't what you see on TV or on, mm. at gyms. But I knew that someone mm-hmm. else that's plus size probably would gravitate towards me being a, their personal sure. trainer or a boot camp instructor. Um, so I work part time. Well, previous to my injury, I worked part time uh, at gym, mm. being a boot camp instructor and a personal trainer. And awesome. I've liked it. And I've, again, it was an opportunity to prove to myself that I actually can do something. And that required mm-hmm. like early morning, 5.30 wake up, 5 o'clock wow. wake ups, training people yeah, yeah, and yeah. observing classes and putting in the hours yeah. to know how they teach those particular classes, sure. um, extra hours studying for the personal training tests and things mm-hmm. that I thought like, oh, I don't have the time or I could never. And it was really great. I cried when I passed the the program <laughs> and I passed the test because um, those early hours really were like a sacrifice. And it reminded me of those sure. two, two bus trips to the gym yeah. in the morning, training with my coach and then going to work after or those late nights at the gym coming home, taking the bus until 11, and then waking up early to go to work the next day. And I think that um, anything that you do that stretches you physically and mentally Mm -hmm. and spiritually, there's only so many, there's so many graces that can come from that. And I'm sure there are things that I've learned that I don't even realize about myself in powerlifting, Mm -hmm. but I definitely learned that there's very few things that are impossible to do um mm. if you put forth the effort and you sure. ask god to help you along the way i don't think at yeah. all that i did any of those things by my own will um there's definitely mm. some help um i mean my guardian angel is waking up at 5 a.m with me <laughs> <laughs> um so i mean i wasn't alone but yeah. um i i think sometimes we tend to limit ourselves, especially I think sometimes even women limit um, limit ourselves because of lack of representation. But mm-hmm. it does take and it does take a lot of bravery to be one of those few or first sure. in doing things. Sure. But I I've learned to like thrive off of that because yeah. even if you don't see it, there's someone else doing it. There's definitely other people powerlifting the way before me and um, in other parts of the country and just because I didn't see them in my competitions doesn't mean they didn't exist and now powerlifting right. has grown so much there's so many different female weight classes female divisions and I mean there's even meets that are women only because there's that many women nice. interested yeah. um, and now singlets thank god have evolved to not be so <laughs> ugly oh. oh that's so good say so one of the things I mean this is an amazing amazing journey yes and I'd love I'd love to talk a bit about the the some of the finer points mm. uh, of lifting because there's two aspects uh, of of a lift and I'm here thinking in particular about like the squat rack that I think a lot of people may not um, uh, know or understand kind of at a kind of uh, slightly uh, more detailed manner and that's the absolute necessity of a of a of a of a really strong degree of not just you talked about flexibility in terms of being able to move between weight classes but actual physical flexibility mm, yes. like the ability to have to have fast and, well I'm, i just said my next thing like hip flexibility but then the other thing is that actually uh, a power lifter requires quickness yes like you have to be able to to uh to respond and get quick and sometimes the interval between getting stuck on a lift and getting through it 
is so small. Um, and I know you can maybe get some encouragement from the outside that kind of mystically lifts you up, but a lot of times it's just on you and your body, right? Yeah. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the need for, um, for, for physical flexibility. Cause, cause when people hear power, mm-hmm. power lifting, they think strength, brute strength, you know, and they don't realize that you can be, you can be jacked <laughs> and not be flexible and you won't be able to go to, to generate power in some sense your 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 physic your physique can actually get in the way mm-hmm. uh by not being flexible and in the same way um if you're not quick if you're slow if you're if you're slow on your lift um you're not going to be able to get in front of your weight enough and you'll be able to get more weight up than the guy who's just you know or girl i'm sorry uh who is you know gigantic and massive and stuff so i wonder if you could you know i obviously am speaking from a certain uh smaller degree of experience uh, but the squat rack was my thing too (laughs) um so you know um uh when i played rugby my backs i used to tell them that they needed to go dance more because their hips were tight yes and they weren't they couldn't they couldn't you know they just they were all peanut butter and no jelly you know they just could not get themselves you know, sideways and forward and backwards and in and out of a ruck and stuff. And they thought I was crazy telling them that. And, uh, and a lot of times I had, I had people who were fast. They could get from point A to point B in a straight line, like on track and field, mm-hmm. but they weren't quick. You know, they had no shake. They had no ability. Yes. You know, yeah, exactly. They had no, they had no like feel like kind of like a little bit of like, just like a little tick, you know? And because of that, they they were less athletic on 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 the pitch. But I I would often, whenever we would be in off season strength training, um, tell them like quickness and flexibility and movement and the ability to dance and not be you know all peanut butter and no jelly. That's the squat rack. That's the bench. That's all those things. So I wonder. Th- these are me. I, I coached for just two years in rugby, but I played American football and then rugby which are very physical and you have to be in the gym and you got to, you have to know free weights. Um, I wonder if you could talk about these things. Cause when a lot of people hear power, power lifting, they hear, you know, just, you know, pu- pushing up weight, yelling all the time and stuff. And they don't think about the poetry and the flexibility and the magic of quickness uh, in lifting. And I wonder if, if, first of all, you could tell me if I'm full of it, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Or second of all, if I'm to the degree that I'm right, I would love to hear you expound on those qualities a bit more. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of physics that's involved in powerlifting and and really in strength sports in general. But if we look at the formula for power, um, it's force times speed. So you have to like you're right. You have to have speed involved. Acceleration. So. Um, what my coach always says and how I picture it is, especially with the squat, I'm loading the weight up and I want to be able to then spring up with that weight, with that same weight as fast as possible. Um, some other sports, they want to hold on to that tension slowly. So for mm-hmm. example, um, you might see 
bodybuilders, they do like a four count or five count as they're lifting. Um, powerlifting, I'm, as soon as that bench touches my chest, I want it up. But someone that wants mm -hmm. to build up hypertrophy um, and really like load in their muscles, they might slow mm -hmm. down that movement because they're going right. for aesthetics rather than um, power, and, power and that speed and, and driving as much force as fast as possible up or down or lifting it as quickly as possible. Um, and so in squat particularly there's a lot of different things and ways that you can adjust your body and your technique to be able to be as fast as possible while holding and loading a lot of weight so like i said mm -hmm. in the different weight classes that i had i had you know like i had my belly if my belly was a little bit bigger then that means i mm -hmm. had to like make room for that as i went down um i didn't sure. want to you know not be able to breathe at the bottom um mm -hmm. you want to be able to hold your ab and your pores in tight and then fire those glutes as you come up fire those calves those hamstrings everything but if i then went to more of a sumo which is a wider stance the wider my stance is, the stronger the muscles that will lift me up have to be. So whereas yeah, I could have slower. been more quad dominant and you see some people with a narrow stance and they could have, mm -hmm. they usually come from an Olympic lifting background, which mm -hmm. is a different, it's not as power, which is force time. It's, it's a different formula with Olympic lifting. Mm. Um, there's a lot of explosiveness that's necessary, but they train differently and so they mm -hmm. tend to be more quad dominant as they come down okay. with the weight because of where the weight is up out in front of right. them with the snatch right. or the the clean right. and jerk um but because our weight is at the back you're thinking of those physics and then if i widen my stance i need to make sure that my hamstrings are stronger where before i could have relied a lot on my quads now when mm -hmm. i train i'm making sure my hamstrings are strong building up those mm -hmm. muscles because i will rely on them now with my wider squat stance some people mm -hmm. change the position of the bar on their back um sure i always and always will be a high bar squatter um okay but that's explain to folks who might not understand because we're even i just realized we didn't distinguish front squats from back yes. squats obviously powerlifting is traditional back squats yes. There is a front squat, which is, of course, going to put the emphasis on your quads even more in that stance. Mm -hmm. um, but um, uh, maybe explain to them, though, what a high bar squatter means. So a high bar squatter, which I like to call the old school squatting. I'm very old school. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, nice. The high bar squatting means that the bar is just um, on your trap muscles, which are mm -hmm. those muscles in between your neck and your shoulders. Um, and so they're just cushioned there. I am lucky that I have very, without even trying strong, I can carry a load of groceries and my traps are like, hey guys, I'm ready to party. <laughs> so those are muscles that are always activated for whatever reason, nice. but I have yeah. um, pretty dominant trap muscles. So it's a nice cushion to put the bar on. Some people, because of how they um, hinge down into a squat, find it beneficial mm -hmm. to lower it a little bit below their mm -hmm. trap. But that means yeah. that you have to really have strong back muscles to hold yeah. that weight there and really grip the weight and not tip over. I don't mm -hmm. have that. And um, 
I personally, and I'm not an expert, so don't at me, but I personally have seen more injuries from low bar squats than high bar squats. Sure. But you will have quicker gains with low bar squats because... Sure. Well, even in terms of safety, Yes. I mean, the thing for me about a, a low bar position, even in just like a workout mode, is your hands have to be super engaged. Yes, so you need that Whereas flexibility me, with your yeah, shoulders. Yeah, you need that. Yeah. I've always liked a bar where I can almost like bounce it with my hands almost just underneath mm -hmm. and it just all stays right there so that whenever I, ex I come up, I mean, my hands are almost catching it as it comes back down. Cause yeah, at, at the top of a workout when I'm not P and I know I don't PR in the gym every day, um, at the top of a workout, if I hit it really fast, I'll actually have issues where the bar will jump on me a bit. Oh, okay. Um, so I can talk about that. Okay, maybe you can help so, me out with my form. Um, you should not be, if you're able to bounce it, it's actually not the best technique. Everything should be Is tight. It? So your okay. back should be tight. You, you want to anchor mm -hmm. that bar because anything that's not tight, you're wasting energy on something else where you could be focusing mm. and concentrating it on down and up. That's the only thing that should be moving. moving. So should, I'm wasting yes. some output there? Yes. So everything okay. should be stiff and tight. So when, if okay. you are loading yourself, if you're at a squat rack and you're doing a back squat, mm -hmm. which we're talking about, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you go up to the bar and you position your shoulders where you, you position it behind your back where you want it to be. Mm -hmm. And then you put yeah. your hands on the bar barbell. Um, and then I like to have this, a slight discomfort so i peacock my chest which just means mm. that you're like squeezing your shoulder blades back yeah and yeah, yeah. um that obviously lifts up your chest and then mm -hmm. you want to keep those shoulder blades squeezed as you lift the bar up off the rack and then you keep your core tight as you walk mm -hmm. back so you you know you don't hit the rack as you Sure. down some competitions they have a, what's called a monolift so there's a machine that just unracks itself right. so you just stay there which is ideal right. because then you're not wasting any energy sure, all you have to sure. do is go down and up um, but most competitions you walk out just a couple steps as few steps as possible the mm. worst the best sign of a beginner is someone that maybe hasn't gotten that technique down is they are walking like four or five they're like walking they're like yeah, you're yeah, moving yeah, too yeah. much now yeah, you're wasting yeah. all this energy and you kind of have to mm -hmm. reposition your your back your shoulders and get everything tight and ready and then you load mm -hmm. up that spring so that spring starts from those those traps the back creating a little bit of a slight arch at least with the high bar so that everything okay. is tight if you like could see me you would see like a slight arch in my back just because i'm mm -hmm. um loading and squeezing mm -hmm. what i also add is to are you eyes up or eyes forward i've heard two different listen i can even tell you what's happening because i feel like i black out for like the 10 seconds <laughs> i just can't see anything like nothing exists. okay um okay. but i think i'm usually i'm usually eyes forward because i want to look at the judge but then once okay. i start lifting it's like nothing's happening i'm like in this la la land blackout yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um but I load up the weight, I keep my core tight, I get my air, once I have that air, I hold it in, and I like squat down, mm -hmm. drive with my heels yeah. and up. And you wanna make sure your knees are not driving, caving in. Um, sure. And because first of all, if your knees are caving in, your hamstrings aren't firing what they as they need to, those glutes aren't firing, mm -hmm. 
and you risk you run the risk of dropping the weight um so knees out as you come up heels down drive up stand stiff and then just walk the same way you walked out slowly in you walk out slowly out it's the same way you walk out slowly back in and mm. rack some people will be will be like oh i'm done and they kind of are loose coming back in mm-hmm. again you run the risk especially if it's a pr of injuring yourself maybe twinging your back sure. if you keep everything sure. tight it's almost like a protected package and you're mm-hmm. reloading that package back onto the rack so yeah. i think you're right i think there's a, an element of vanity to, in in this for me at least because <laughs> Well, no, I'm, I'm just saying, like, for me, I love the sound aesthetically of the plates rattling. Oh, gosh. There's that shake at the top. You know, I'll even, when I put my little pincers on, leave a little space so I can just, I, it's like a rattle. And I just like to hear it at the top. <laughs> I wish everyone could see on the video. <laughs> but Okechi is, like, totally That makes right me now. cringe. No, um, my brother does that sometimes. He loves that yeah. sound of it. See, his his issue in some competitions is that um his traps are so big that when he like walks back it kind of bounces and so oh yeah some no, judges not yeah, i'm not okay, jacked well, like that yeah. some judges no, no. might be picky i always practice the same way i would compete and i've done that like since high school and that's something that was drilled into me forever and especially my coach mm. And so if I didn't do it in the gym, I'm not going to start doing it at a competition. And if I learn sure. that I have to do it in a competition, I'm going to do it at the gym. So like sure. some judges are really picky about those that start. And if anything is shaking, they're going to take their sweet time before they let you start that squat. And the problem with that okay, is... Okay, okay. <laughs> the problem with that is now you're holding like, I don't know, 300 pounds, 200 pounds, whatever the weight is on your back and you haven't started your lift and you're trying to brace yourself and time is ticking and what did we say yeah yeah yeah. the time you want to be able to move that weight as quickly as possible so sure sure obviously i can see in a competitive environment yeah, the natural Although, person is not caring about a competition yeah. but no that's true i mean one thing though um because i think uh people who may not uh there's going to be a lot of listeners who powerlifting is a little bit out of left field and and a squat rack is not uh, one thing that people don't realize the difference between a PR lift and for instance I did one powerlifting meet whenever I was in high school just because all my friends were doing it I was already we were all in the gym together in off season so I went and um, I remember like wearing a proper singlet putting on a proper belt and proper knee wraps my coach was like Rocha, you should start at four. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, I'm gonna embarrass myself. Um, I should really start like about 375 and kind of go from there. I wanna feel good. He's like, no, four is gonna be light for you. And I was like, there's no way four is gonna be light for me. You know, my first set is like 280. And I went and I just exploded through that four because of the knee wraps, mm-hmm. the singlet, the belt and all that. And what, what, I, what I'm trying to get at though is that whenever you have serious weight like safety cautious weight when you have spotters all around you this is not a joke the moment bar and body makes contact i'm not talking anymore about me working out like 
there's there's something of a, I almost feel like there's an almost an awe and a wonder to mm. it and the ability to just come down and and not hurt yourself like like there's so many things and I'm probably here speaking out of the fact that I'm a bit intimidated even by weight that I can lift uh, and and for you it's probably you've broken through that well, many times you have to respect the weight because it yeah. it can hurt you because it's kind of scary isn't yes. it like am I wrong here like no and so so the thing to me is like you know I have uh, many times including when I worked out and and kind of farting around in the weight room. Um, I can get it off the rack, I can move down slowly, and then I gotta get out. I gotta get out, because I have no business <laughs> trying to hit that much weight, and, I got, and, and, I'm, not gonna, and I'm not gonna do it. And, and I need to know, I need to need to know to get underneath it safely with some humility and, 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 get, out, and get out of that lift safely and keep my spotters safe and mm -hmm. everything like that. Can you talk about like how to fail at your lift in a good way, oh, in a yes. beautiful way, in an honorable way. Yes. Okay. So, um, some days you're gonna go to the gym and you know, maybe you slept weird, your shoulders are not feeling it, and I failed. I can't even count how many times at the <laughs> gym, and that is the place to fail. You rather right, fail right. at the gym, tweak your lift, or know that maybe okay, this is it. you've tried. You maybe you attempted a PR or um, you have a certain amount of reps to do and that last rep is just not happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and yeah, then yeah, you yeah. take a break and you try the next set and it, you might crush it the next set. You have to be mm -hmm. humble. I think the difference between injury and not can sometimes be pride, especially mm -hmm. with people that may have had a lot of success in the gym and then all of a sudden it's not happening. Um, so to fail properly in a squat technique technically um you want to make sure that the weight falls behind you and this is if mm -hmm. you're doing it by yourself and i want to emphasize mm -hmm. that this is a, a traditional squat rack this is not a smith machine which is not at okay. all the same the smith machine yeah. actually has almost like a fail safe built in anyway um okay. so you it will just fall down you won't hurt yourself because mm -hmm. you won't be like the weight won't fall over your head or your neck mm -hmm. um so you always want to make sure the weight falls behind you um i have done this the wrong way um thanks okay. thanks to some um poor hydration and heavy okay. heavy cramping i've cramped mm -hmm. during a meet and fallen forward oh my and the yeah. danger of that is that if there's someone in front of you especially at a meet you can hurt them mm -hmm. you can yeah. the depending on the type of rack a lot of times in competitions they use these um small racks so it's literally just two poles holding on to the that hold up the mm -hmm. weight and mm -hmm. not a, a, a power rack um so that means that you, it could drop that and hurt someone you could hurt the spotters um yeah so you want to fall back and that gives the spotters the opportunity to move out of the way if you don't have mm -hmm. spotters it means that you don't hurt your neck or your back yeah um and i think that's the best way to practice i mean this this is weight that can kill someone this is weight like that just, can knock, I, again yeah, I, I don't know if our listeners know out. yeah like this is this is could be like you know if this if someone's foot is there like it's bye bye yes <laughs> And yeah. so with bench press, it gets a little bit yeah. um, trickier because 
it depends on where you fail, right? If you lift mm-hmm. off and you can't lift it off yourself, then you probably yeah, 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 yeah. should like, you know, ask for a lift off. Um, yeah. and make sure that person has their hands underneath the bar as you come down. So when they let go. And yeah. so if for whatever reason you're like, I can't bring it back up, they can help guide the weight up off of your chest. So mm-hmm. you don't crush your chest. Um, mm-hmm. you should always have your thumbs on the bar. I know the sexy thing to do is like that four finger I know. Bench and oh, now you're getting after me on my bench. I didn't ask for this. Listen, do what you need to do, but I have seen someone crush their face with a okay. with a barbell right. benching. No. Um. Yeah. To be fair, they were lifting like crazy weight, and they had what's called a bench shirt, so it allows you to even lift to lift even more weight. But they mm-hmm. were doing mm-hmm. that hook grip on a bench, and they that thumb is there to kind of like be an extra digit to yep. hold on to yep. the bar so if you sl- yep. if it slips you can snap your wrist if it falls mm-hmm. on your face and it was blood everywhere the yeah. most disgusting yeah. thing i've ever seen oh. <laughs> out, of, oh out of me right. so please again this isn't even if you're you have to put a content warning here <laughs> <laughs> this isn't even if you're competing but i feel like the, the yeah, caliber yeah, yeah. for competitions also can keep you safe as a casual lifter and so if you some people don't want to arch when they bench because they think it's cheating but you're mm-hmm. really i mean i can this is a whole nother i can talk about how that's not cheating and I, i've given seminars on this but that, i'm glad to hear that, that because i i i throw up a lot more weight on the bench whenever i can have my bottom engaged yes because uh, to be honest when i bench i bench with my whole every single lift is a lift that involves your whole body and yes mm-hmm. there are m- muscles that are more in- involved than not but every single lift to me involves my legs i drive with mm-hmm. my legs when i bench and that involves that slight arch activating those mm-hmm. glutes those and then driving with my heels as i use my chest muscles and that is an advantage that i have because if I was just to do a flat branch and just use my chest, the way that my chest is set up, it's just not yeah. possible to lift as much yeah, weight yeah, yeah. as I would like. And it also yeah. means that you are less likely to injure your shoulders, which is the weakest joint that we have. Mm-hmm. And so sure. it, I'd rather not look as fancy or whatever or sexy as I lift and mm-hmm. keep that shoulder, mu- shoulder joint together and mm-hmm. not tear anything in my pack or my shoulders than to um have you know a a super flat bench and then if i what happens is if you are kind of like failing in the lift what tries to compensate is that shoulder and after time continuing to do that will start to hurt your shoulder um and i i i was going down that path because i was like i want to bench press is to this day my least favorite not because i haven't i've devoted Mm -hmm. a lot of time and energy to the bench press Mm -hmm. but it's just the slowest grower for me now with my my leg injury it's like i'm like crushing it (laughs) are you that's awesome that's so great to hear all i have yeah but um yeah bench press has always been really hard and i've done all the auxiliary lifts and accessory lifts but Mm -hmm. for women it's often the hardest lift um, yeah. And so those that, that like physics of it all, and we, it goes back to physics. If you think of the mechanics of that lift, 
the flat mm-hmm. doesn't provide a strong foundation to activate the chest and really push mm-hmm. the weight. You're really activating mm-hmm. your shoulders sometimes when you mm-hmm. lift. And then if you are struggling with the lift, what you're aggravating is that shoulder and not necessarily. Yeah. Um, so if I'm struggling with the lift, I can activate those leg muscles to help drive me through. Sure. And if I, after yeah. all of that, I can't do it. I am very vocal. I say, help. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And usually mm-hmm. I have someone helping me lift yeah. off. If you're by yourself, the best thing to do, if you can, is to tilt the weight one side and then okay. move from underneath the weight. Get out. Yeah. Don't let it stay on I your think chest. this is, yeah, I think it's so important because, you know, um, sports culture can sometimes, I think, be a bit triumphalistic mm-hmm. about, you know, you can do anything, th- those kinds of things. And I think that's super important. Like, there's something about sports culture that to me is about transcendence and that like you realize you can transcend the limits the ordinary everyday limits that you encounter uh uh, physically in a lot of cases if you're physically abled and all these other things right yes um but then on on what i feel like gets lost and i know like as i've grown and aged i've been forced by 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 time to to admit is the profound humility that sports culture teaches where it teaches you how to lose it teaches you how to fail it teaches you how to um uh how to value perhaps maybe technique flexibility pliability quickness you know i'm teaching my sons how to how to uh uh, lift free weights right now and i I'd, i'd love to close our time with maybe running uh my my pedagogical um, approach by you and seeing if I can mine your uh, experience here. So um, I'm, I bought a, a broomstick, like a, a big long broomstick, yes. wooden broomstick. And, um, and, I'm, and I'm teaching them everything, uh, uh, bar technique, uh, posture, um, and we're just gonna learn how to, how to bench and squat um, with this broomstick with zero weight involved and just controlling yourself with your core and your body posture and and then lifting for a while just at home with our broomstick which is safe but i'll simulate what spotting is and i'll simulate these things so that then we can go and grab a 45 pound bar and they can work their way from that um all the way up because i do find that especially one of my kids is uh, 14 the other one's 12 Mm. you know uh, the 12 year old by the way is a little stronger than the 14 year old yeah <laughs> i know i know and the 14 year old has long arms so like i think like oh, there's gonna be a really interesting he's gonna be a here. good deadlifter yeah but whenever he gets for even 45 pounds right on top of him for the first time and stuff i want that to be safe and i want it to be positive and stuff so so that's how we're kind of going into it what what would you tell me here in closing uh, about how to uh how to teach my, my, my children how to lift um, uh, technically, and then also maybe some of these uh, uh, things about asking for help, learning how to fail, how to fall, uh, some of those notes. So I think that that's a great tech, that's a great um, way to learn, especially squat and knowing how their body moves and that can help you gauge like where their foot position should be. They're each gonna be different or have different strengths Mm-hmm. in that i would challenge you to add some weight i don't think 12 or 14 is too young to start 
Okay. Usually the rule okay. of thumb is the age at which they can take direction well and focus. So for some people that may be like 18 if they really can't listen to you. Um, 47. Yes. But usually um, I've seen I've seen kids compete as young as I think the youngest in our federation is 13 to compete, but they've okay. started at like 10 or 11. But that mm-hmm. means that they have, you know, adult supervision and they're able to follow directions. Why, why I say add some weight is because what you've taught them is going to hit differently once there's actual resistance that they of have course. to fight. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. could be something as simple as like really small dumbbells or um, weighted like just something weighted overhand. I love overhead squats because it helps them mm. learn that flexibility. They have to drive from the heels. You cannot, you really can't do overhead squats and be like loosey goosey or quad dominant. You mm-hmm. can't. So that that kind of um, placement of the weight above head forces that, that drive from underneath. So adding some of that where there's a little bit of a resistance and they have to remember because now they have mm-hmm. muscle memory under stress mm-hmm. so muscle memory mm-hmm. under no stress is great but what really helps is muscle memory under some stress and then you can like you know if that 12 year old is better than a 14 year old then <laughs> that that there's a lesson there and like that yeah, that's yeah, gonna yeah. happen They're, you're gonna be competing or maybe at the gym and someone that's younger than you or older than you is doing something better that's not for totally, you to totally. compete with them or your brother. Right. It's for them to compete mm-hmm. with yourself. So maybe mm-hmm. this month he can only do, I don't know, a 10 pound weight overhead. And then in a year he mm-hmm. could do 30. Well, he's progressed 20 pounds. That mm-hmm. is success for him. Yeah. And that yeah. that translates into everything, whether it's schoolwork yeah, yeah. or life or whatever. And I think that that's a great lesson that you're teaching your kids how to, how to behave under um, physical distress, you know, and that translates how to behave in just like the, the normal stress of life. I did want to add, um, I talked mm-hmm. a lot about competing and I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that as a powerlifter, the greatest thing that I've, a personal trainer, I'm sorry, as a personal trainer, the best thing that I've learned is the ability to make sure that anyone, whether they're older, younger, came, coming from an injury or not, has the opportunity to to exercise and feel comfortable, especially at the gym that I train at. Um, they emphasize modifications a lot, and there's humility in that because maybe you are able to mm. do like jump squats for like 20 jump squats or for 30 seconds, but now you have to slow it down and just do mm. body weight squats with the weight. That's a modification, but you're still squatting. It's just not going to be explosive squats or high impact versus low impact. So if you are someone that wants to get back in the gym and you think that you might have to do what you used to do, you might look into modifications. Um, For example, one modification for the barbell squat is a box squat. You can set the height as high or low as you feel comfortable, but that box behind you makes you feel more stable and comfortable Mm -hmm. and you're still getting a good exercise and workout in and maybe that's how you learn the technique and then you can graduate Mm -hmm. towards a regular squat so i just wanted to add that because that's something that um can help people graduate into a more advanced lift 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Folk Phenomenology Season 1, and special thanks to Ogechia Calabari. I would like to again thank my sponsors. Whip and Stock Publishers gave us this day the Institute for Christian Socialism, Solidarity Hall, Revelation Cable Company, where Peter is, the Juan Diego Network, and Commonweal Magazine, and of course, our featured sponsor, Black Catholic Messenger. The friends of the show are the Commonweal Podcast, The Gloria Purvis Show, Disinherited Podcast, Davud Gosley, Up Too Late with Teresa Zoe Williams, Conversation on Tap, Saintly Witnesses, Kinder Conservative, The Show, Gregory B. Sadler, and Cush Classics. Please be sure to check out the show notes for links to all of these wonderful friends of the show and to the featured sponsor today, Black Catholic Messenger, and also to all the other wonderful and generous sponsors of Folk Phenomenology. Let me do a quick shout out to Conversation on Tap. My friend Jose and my new friend uh, Joel there run that podcast. I've been a guest uh, twice uh, now. One was in a two-part because I talk a lot. And most recently was an episode on critical race theory, which you'll hear more about uh, at Folk Phenomenology in a few episodes, uh, but that I got to go into some depth with them uh, on on the matter. And uh, they've been very generous to feature that, uh, put out some cool media related to it. And they've even run, a, I believe, a commercial for Folk Phenomenology on one of their previous issues. So thanks to uh, our friends at Conversation on Tap. If you would like to support Folk Phenomenology, please share this episode and subscribe to the show on your favorite app or platform. And be sure to follow us on social media and interact with us there as much as you can. You can also leave a tip in the tip jar, which I'll be collecting and saving to um, get us started for Season 2. Next week's episode, Episode 10, features an interview I did with Rebecca Christian, the interview is premised on a trip that she took with her family to Ghana. In fact, she approached me uh, with this story as a um, something of a substitute to the conversation that I had in mind. But woven into that story is, well, her own biographical story and also her vocation as a black doula as a mother of mothers as she calls it it was a powerful interview as many of these interviews have been not only for the impact of the story of going to ghana the story of being a black doula in america but really because of its combined impact it gathered from both sides of that story into a really powerful presentation of a number of things, including radical black politics, um, reminiscent really of the episode on abolition with Sofia Elena Gurule, and of course also echoing many of the other episodes, for instance, the um, notes about James Cone in the Liberation Theology episode with Vanessa Zuleta Goldberg. I hope that now as we move into the very middle of this season, that there is something like a shape 
taking form like there's something of a sense or a particular impression that's being left across these interviews and my hope is that it tells us something not only about the individual episodes but about something that they're speaking to as a whole in a kind of unison and harmony with dissonance to be sure and we'll hear more on the dissonance soon when the debates start but I'd like there to be something of a choral effect and to imagine every voice kind of singing in one voice if you can Folk Phenomenology is written, hosted, recorded, and produced by me, Sam Rocha. To find out more about me and my work, you can go to www.samrocha.com. Well, it sounds like I have some work to do on my squat technique and uh, in general on my strength and exercise training. But that too is a way to love the world. So go out and love the world. Dilexit Mundum. See you next week. What is interesting to me, really interesting, and I can't define it, is because it's interesting. I can't say exactly what it is, but it's the most interesting, out of the word, concept, idea. My job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. Love is where you find it. It's where you find it. It's where you find it. Love is where you find it. And you don't know where you don't know where it will carry you. And it is a terrifying thing. Love it is the only human possibility, but it's terrifying. And I'm through the eyes of our ears. We see the beauty of hope. We see the beauty of pain. We see the beauty.